What's up everyone, welcome to the Life Livers Academy. I'm Jamie O'Donnell and the purpose of this podcast is to connect you with the people, ideas, mindsets and inspiration to empower you to chase your dreams, unlock your potential and live life to the fullest each day. Get ready for some inspiring conversations and incredible insights from people who are out there living life, having fun and dominating their chosen path. I appreciate you tuning in, now let's get this episode underway. guys really excited to have uh, my guest on the show Brad Smaley with me today now Brad is a former world champion wakeboarder uh, a real innovator of the sport actually for anyone that follows he was sort of the guy that was known for pushing the boundaries uh, doing all sorts of crazy tricks uh, he won trick of the year in 2014 uh, was one of the first guys on the planet to land the 1080 uh, as well as a number of double flip combos um, however in 2014 uh, Brad had a tragic accident on the water, uh, which left him paralyzed from the neck down. Uh, Despite that huge adversity and life-changing accident, Brad has gone on to use his adversity to his advantage and has used his story to go out there and inspire other people uh, to get through hardships, but also just, uh, I guess, at the the core of it, make the most of uh, the life that they have. He's now a motivational speaker, does a lot of time speaking to children in schools, uh, and as an inspirational man, I've followed his journey, and I'm really excited uh, and privileged to have him on the show today uh, and to dive in and have a conversation with him now. So uh, thank you so much for your time, man. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for having me. I'm, yeah, kind of uh, enjoy these things. And I mean, even right there in the intro, you kind of touched on one of the biggest sort of core messages and what I try to, um, to sort of speak about and the, the messages I spread, and it's about adversity being an asset you know, using what we've got and the stuff that we go through to to then um, move forward and, and to be able to kind of uh, work through life um, in a stronger way. So, Yeah, I think it's particularly relevant right now. I mean, obviously, you know, we're all going to face adversity at some point in our lives. Um, but with coronavirus and, the you know, the way that the world is right, right in this particular moment, uh, I think there's a lot of people who have been confronted with more adversity than what they used to. Um, I guess my first question for you is, I mean, there's so much to dive into with your story and I'm particularly fascinated in, in the mindset side of things. How important was having a new purpose for you in terms of getting through? Like when, when you had, I guess, your identity taken away from you with your accident, you were known as this professional athlete, you were no longer able to do that. I can't personally comprehend what it's like to go through those, that transition, but I would assume that purpose and finding a new purpose played a huge role in that. Can you talk to that? Yeah, and, and that was something that it took a little while for me to, to, to find that. You know, at the beginning, I was just trying to find my way and, um, you know, was in denial about things and, you know, obviously wanted to work as hard as I could to, uh, to get whatever recovery uh, my injury would allow. But, um, you know, when that, kind of didn't happen, you know, after several years of rehab and didn't really see any results. Um, that's when kind of depression started to set in because it was, you know, I was, I was aiming for this goal of moving again, but I wasn't even getting close, you know, and I just, no matter how much work and effort I put in. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of a huge contributor to kind of the depression I went through, but then um, it was after that it was going through acceptance and then it was kind of yeah looking at life basically from the truth of where I'm at rather than where I wanted to be and where I was trying to be um, and you know that was a huge part of it that acceptance and then um, yeah purpose came in a few different ways you know uh, starting the public speaking and um, they gave me some some drive and, and something to to work on and, and to know that I was, um, you know, doing some good and spreading positive messages to, to people. And then after that, it was, yeah, it was just finding something that gave me progression again, kind of something to kind of hit those uh, things that, that I lost. You know, I lost progression. I lost the ability to push myself in the way that I was used to. Um, so I just kind of had to find new ways. It's interesting. You, t- you said something really interesting there. You said you had to accept where you're at for what it was. I've heard you, I've watched a bit of your stuff online in the past and I've heard you talk about hating the word acceptance. Um, but that, that's a really key point because I think a lot of the time, uh, 
in struggles in life in general, whether it's uh, in business and you're hanging on too long or, you know, even just things like trying to lose weight and get to places that you want to get to, people are starting from a place where they haven't actually fully accepted where they're at, which means that it's impossible to take the right first step. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as you said, you know, I hated that word, but that was sort of when I didn't quite embrace it and understand it um, for the full meaning, you know, I thought, acceptance in my situation was accepting that I was going to be a quadriplegic and that to me that just meant being miserable and not being able to do you know like all these things that were now limitations that I was um, kind of dealing with and so you know I had to learn that acceptance meant you know it's only about accepting what the truth is right in this moment you know Um, and whether that's you know financial situation relationships job um, just general sort of place in life, if we don't accept what the truth is, then we're living in denial. It's like, you know, if you're a millionaire and then you lost all your money, but you kept living like you're a millionaire, you just didn't accept that you'd lost all your money. It wouldn't work. It doesn't, doesn't match up. So you've got to find that baseline, find that kind of starting point to then be able to move forward from. And um, by doing that, by accepting this situation I'm in, it's like, okay, this is where I'm at. Now what can I do to move forward in a positive way rather than I was just scrambling. I was just, you know, I, did, I wasn't fully accepting of everything that was happening in my life and I just um, was blindly kind of focusing on this one goal that wasn't, I mean, I didn't want to, you know, at that point I wanted to give myself that opportunity to heal and to, to get what I'm ever moving back. So, and for a while that kind of gave me purpose. It was this kind of uh, blind, you know, purpose. And, and a lot of that was, you know, even the positivity that I was kind of putting across. It wasn't entirely genuine. You know, I was, I was hurting inside, but I was trying my best to be positive, to try and bring myself up. But in a way, a lot of that was trying to please other people and make sure everyone, thought that I was okay and knew that everything was going all right. So it was, yeah, it was a, it was a crazy time. Um, and everything I learned, it took a while. Like it took yeah, several yeah. years of drilling it in because, you know, as much as you can understand something about, you know, whether it's a toxic trait that you've got or something, you know, something like that, but you can't just flick it off like a light switch. Like it's, it takes work and it takes time to kind of work through all those things. So yeah, acceptance was just, as I said, that starting point to then be able to go, okay, well, this is this is what my life really is. This is my financial situation. This is my physical situation. This is my relationship sort of situation. And uh, then you can kind of move forward from there. Yeah. Well, you touched on something really interesting there where you said that balance between positivity and, and putting positive stuff out and not faking it. I mean, that's a, It's an incredibly important part. How have you managed the negative emotions? And obviously we... In situations, you know, in, in times of hardship, we kind of have a mentality where we know how we should react or how it's expected of us to react in that situation. How do you balance having a positive and optimistic lens versus using the negativity in a positive way and accepting that a situation is what it is and sometimes the situation's a shit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, the negative side of things, it took a while just to to kind of work through them. But I think it was once I kind of embraced the journey of um, going through hardships and letting anything negative that I was feeling, like letting it actually run its course. Because for so long, as I said, I was kind of pushing it away and I was putting on this positive front and I was like, okay, everything's, you know, well, not everything's fine, but, but I'm doing okay. Whereas on the inside I was, I was hurting. And so, um, by letting myself go through that journey, feel that emotion, understand where it came from, what caused it, what I was doing beforehand, what may have you know triggered it or led to that emotion popping up, um, and then understanding, you know, why, what is it, is it beneficial, what, what can I do with this, and then by letting myself go through it, then the next time that type of emotion would arise. I'd be better equipped to deal with it. And so, um, you know, and again, it it took a while. Uh, It took some time of just 
trying to understand it each time and I got better and better at dealing with it as, as I went on. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, that's going back to that adversity being an asset, you know, by learning about it, it meant that I, you know, it's this whole metacognition thing. It's understanding our own thoughts, being aware of how our own thought processes and everything work. Um, it's like almost taking a step away from our own mind and looking into it from a third person yeah. going, what's, what's going on here? That's right, yeah. Why does this lead to that? And why, what does this emotion mean? And all this stuff. And so by going through all that, and allowing it to, yeah, to, to process it properly, then it just meant I was... Um, just kind of using that adversity to learn and, and to, to get better at dealing with those things as they come up the next time. So. so it sounds like a big part of that is, I don't want to say emotional intelligence, but learning to learning to control those emotions and, and not just buy into them and let them run, run away and run their course, but actually being able to look beyond that initial emotional response or something. Mm, it's not, yeah, it's not, not necessarily fighting the emotions or pushing them away or anything. It's just allowing them and understanding them. And I think, you know, it's that, that kind of big difference of letting something flow through you rather than trying to push it away or even letting it go. It's kind of feels like you're almost having to lose something, whereas um, even if it is something negative, whereas letting it flow through you kind of gives you that understanding to be better prepared next time. Um, so yeah, You must have had an in- interesting perspective on ego after all of this because like when you lose anything, whether it's a business or, you know, in your situation, your, I guess your identity as an athlete, um, you must start to truly understand the constructs of ego and kind of how much that plays on the way that you show up in the world. What have you yeah. learned around that side of things? Yeah. Ego is huge, man. That, that, uh, you know, there was nothing that stripped that. Well, that kind of revealed the ego issues and everything more than, and this injury kind of um, stripped everything away that I thought was what made me me. And and that's kind of what I've learned to understand uh, of what the ego is, is it's basically the, the story we tell ourselves of who we are, you know, who, yeah. we, think we, are, yeah. who we think we should be. Um, and, you know, there were so many things, you know, like I'd learned throughout my life and been programmed to think that Brad is awake. You know that that's the title that goes along with me. You know, yeah, right. Yeah. So when, when I lost that, it's it's like, okay. Well, who am I? Who is this this guy now that twenty seven years on is? You know, I had to to figure everything out and and kind of learn figure out firstly who I am and then um, just kind of yeah start from scratch again and and peeling all those layers back and um, and that's where it was great to have some help. Um, someone who was able to call me out on my bullshit and Did be you real, have some real conversations and, and delve into, you know, everything I was going through and, and really teach me um, what it all meant. And so again, I had to be very open and vulnerable to allow that in. And you know, at first I was very resistant to a lot of it. Uh, but yeah, I think the main thing was just, I mean, I, I think that's part of acceptance as well, is accepting who we truly are, stripping away that ego of the story we tell the thing that we should be, uh, who, or who we think we should be. Um, it's funny. I, I find, like, a sport like golf is amazing to reveal an ego. Like, um, you know, in golf, you hit your shot. The moment the ball comes off the club, you've really, as if you're a professional, you've got to forget what even happened and move forward. Same as in life, any any step we take, you can't change it, you can't do anything about it. But the guy with the ego is standing there, oh, oh, you should have seen my shot the other day. Oh, that, you know, oh, that's not like me. <laughs> you know, it's not how I usually play and this and that. And, but it's, um, yeah, I think that's a, it's kind of a good analogy for, for life. It's just once that move's been made, it's accept it, move forward and work with what you got. Like, Yeah, that's, that's, sorry, carry on. I was just going to say, sometimes, you know, if you've duffed a shot and you're in the trees, you can't, even if you think you should be shooting for that goal um, where you need to be landing on the green, like sometimes you've got to chip out into the fairway and then take a shot. So sometimes in life, you know, if you've got these big goals and you, you, you know, you hit sort of some snags, like sometimes you do need to take a moment to 
get into a position where you can move forward again. Yeah, that's a fantastic analogy. I too often in golf try and hit it from behind the trees and it doesn't work out. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to, work, to actually be able to do that though, isn't it? Like when you're saying that, I'm going, yeah, that, that's the best analogy I've heard for that particular thing. But do you have any advice on how to actually, any steps that you've learned through your process on how to actually do that? To be honest, it's just it's grinding away at it. Like, you know, it's, it's acknowledging when you fail, acknowledging when you slip up. Be okay with it because we are human. Don't beat yourself up about these things. Um, but it's just trying to to be better each time. Like, you know, and, and I think that's important about, you know, about making mistakes. We all make mistakes and it's, and it's being accept and accepting of them so that we can um, use them to help us move forward in a better way. Like that's what our past is for. And the only thing we should use it for is for learning and, and being mm. better for moving forward. Um, so, I mean, as much as, yeah, I wish there was a, a quick, easy fix or a way to make it accelerate and do these things um, in a quicker way. I think, to be honest, just like a lot of things, you've got to put the hard yards in. Like, you can't expect to be a master of something without putting the work in. Um, and yeah, and then sometimes, you know, it's grind away at it and then have a day off. Like, let yourself, um, yeah, let yourself kind of put, put your feet up and unwind and just, yeah understand and be be accepting of the fact that we are human and we make mistakes and um as much as out there it's quite easy like and even people would look at me in my situation and go oh my god how did he overcome these things he must have you'd be amazing and it's like well no i just spent years putting the work in um because i had to because the way i was living and the way my mindset was so what i was really told at the beginning was that i needed to rewire my brain because right. The old hardware, the old belief system of who I was is gone. Yeah. So that what my brain thinks and how it works doesn't doesn't match with my new reality and my new body. Um, instinctual thoughts and desires and things that you know, even just ways that I would uh, relieve stress. Like I can't go for a run anymore. I can't have a cardio workout to yeah. release those endorphins. So I had to kind of figure out how to um, how to change things to work with my body and how things are now. So that rewiring is something that we can all do. Um, and, you know, another sort of analogy I use for that is like, if you take a, like a 13 year old from New Zealand and move them to the US, you know, they'll probably have a US accent within a few years. Whereas if you take a 40 year old, move them there, their accent's going to last a lot longer before it changes because it's been wired in for so much longer. Um, and obviously because I was 27 years old and, um, you know, there were certain things that were so wired in, these belief systems and, and things that, um, I mean, they, they were all part of, yeah, my belief system, my makeup, the way that I computed the world and myself in it, you know. And, um, so, yeah, it's kind of just breaking down those belief systems. Um, I, I like to use vis visualization so that if there's any, anything I'm trying to get rid of, a toxic thought or a toxic trait or something, you know, something I'm trying to improve or trying to be better at um, in my life, then putting intention and putting energy into that. And if there's that negative thing I'm trying to get rid of, I visualize like taking a pair of scissors and snipping that wow. neural connection in your brain because it's, that's all it is. It's that the programming is in our brain. It's in those neural connections. So the more we strengthen the things that are positive and that we want, the more we focus on that, the stronger they get. Sometimes we, we have like a toxic trait or something we're trying to get rid of, but we try so hard to get rid of it that we're focusing on it more and we're getting <laughs> more, more of a connection. So it's, um, that's why, where I found it important to kind of understand a little bit about that, about how the brain works. I don't, you know, I didn't really study it or anything much at all. Just watched a few videos and um, learned a, enough about it so that it, that I understood it and it worked for me and what I was trying to achieve. Yeah, it's a crazy. I mean, it's crazy to think that we don't learn about the brain. It, it, it controls everything. It's the most important muscle that we have. 
our quality of life is directly impacted by our control over it and we're never taught about it. Yeah, it's, it's wild. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's definitely something that should change. And I mean, I feel like there's a lot of things in schooling that should change. Like, I mean, and maybe we were taught it. I didn't pay much attention in, <laughs> in like, economics and things like that. Maybe we were taught to pay, how to pay our taxes, but I sure as hell don't know. And, <laughs> you know. and I feel like that's not something that we're really taught in school and same with our mental health stuff, you know, I think as much as we're taught like physical education, like we should be taught mental education as well. And um, I think a lot of that learning about that will help people deal with anxiety and stress and depression and the things that we all go through in life on different levels. Are there any particular tools that you lean on more than others when it comes to that? Meditation, stuff like that. Do you meditate or like, do you have any, any tools that have you found really useful that you keep going back to? Um, I meditate very poorly. <laughs> um, I mean, I try sometimes, but to be honest, my meditation is at the bottom of a swimming pool surrounded by the ambient noise of water and um, just holding my breath and kind of trying to focus on nothing really, you know, just, just letting it all go and um, relaxing. And So for me, that's, that's kind of my um, escape, if you will, or my way of kind of, bringing things back to center. And I think it's important for people to, to find something to know, you know, whether it's one thing or several different things that you can use as tools to, um, to reset and, and kind of, uh, yeah, just, you know, we go through so much stress and we're wired. So, so kind of, uh, well, so high wired at the moment, um, with a foot to the floor with jobs and, you know, I feel like a lot of jobs aren't nine to five anymore. You're getting emails all night and having to yeah, do a whole 100%. bunch of stuff. And, and so I think finding a way to just take your foot off the gas and relax a little. And, you know, we all have our different ways of doing that. Um, but yeah, for me, it's just um, finding a way to push myself. Um, and, but uh, yeah, uh, kind of coincidentally part of, that and, and the breath work I do has brought me this kind of more peaceful moment. So whether it's for two minutes or five minutes at the bottom of a swimming pool, just kind of there relaxing and nothing really else exists or matters. Yeah, well, that is a tranquil feeling when you're underwater. Uh, I've been, I was amazed. I mean, I remember the first time I saw a video, I think it was on Instagram or something of you jumping in and going to the bottom of the pool. I was like, man, this guy is crazy. How does he face, you know, how, does, how do you face that? What what is your relationship to water now? I mean, like, it's a, you say that it's a form of meditation for you. What was it like having to broach going into the pool for the first time and, and re-entering the water? It was such a major part of your life. Yeah, I mean, well, I lived around on in the water before my accident and it just, um, man, it was three years after my accident until I got in the pool again, until I even, like, was submerged in water. Um, and that was when I was in the States. I just got my buddies to throw, throw me in my pool. <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah, got into hydrotherapy and, um, you know, through the physio, um, at the millennium where I go. And, um, and then, yeah, just, it came about through being told no to scuba diving. Like a doctor was like, no, you can't scuba dive because of the risks of breathing compressed gas underwater and the nitrogen bubbles and, potentially on the scar tissue and your spinal cord blocking the cerebral fluid flow and all this stuff. And, you know, I was pissed off because it was like this door I was wanting to enter closed right in my face. But really it was staring me toward one that was much more, um, you know, that brought, brought a lot more to me with the, the actual breath hold stuff. Um, so that was when he told me that the risk was from breathing compressed gas underwater. I was like, so if I hold my breath, that, um but yeah that just coincidentally brought me this kind of progression element that i had been missing um and then yeah i don't know it it was just through some friends like we got in the pool and practicing holding my breath and i got to four minutes or something four and a half minutes and then all of a sudden um with this idea of getting me free diving and it just kind of you know, spiraled from there. But um, I think really it, um, 
for me, you know, I, I just feel like I've got this connection with the water and um, even though I can't feel things on my skin kind of below my shoulders, like when I'm in the water, I can, you know, it feels like my body's aware of it and it knows what's going on. Yeah, um, cool. But the thing I really love about this, this freediving thing, and, and it's like when I'm at the bottom, it's, it's this kind of trust with well, a lot of trust in my friends to get me back to the surface. And they've got a lot of trust in me to know what I'm doing and be able to signal at the right time and everything. Um, and I think it's just something about letting go. Like that's something I've had to learn and really deal with is letting go of control. Yeah. Um, because I've lost a lot of control of, of a lot of things. Um, and embracing that loss of control was something I felt that was, um, what's the word? Almost just, you know, kind of owning it rather than just accepting it, um, you know, or, or even denying it. At first I was denying the lack of control. I was pissed off about it. I hated it. It would get me so frustrated. But then embracing it and sitting at the bottom of the pool, knowing that I have to rely on someone else to, for me to survive in that, in that situation. Um, was just such a freeing thing um, for me. It, like, just uh, I don't know. It just kind of let let go of all that. Um, me trying to hang on to control. And yeah, well, there's so much stress and anxiety there, isn't there? When you are trying to control everything, and there's so many uncontrollables, particularly in a time like now. I mean, we very quickly realised how little control we have over a lot of the things we thought we controlled, and. I think in that you realize how much tension and stress you hold in your body from just trying to control. Yeah. And, and a huge part of that acceptance thing is learning what we have control over, what we don't, what, you know, I feel like there's three kind of levels. You've got control, you've got influence and you've got no control. You know, like I can control obviously my thoughts and you know, what I say and things like that. Um, and then outside of that, I can control two things, my chair and my phone. Hmm. Like physically control them. Um, you know, there, there may be some other things there, but you know, everything else I had to let that go. And so I think that part of acceptance is acknowledging these things and understanding them so that we don't put energy into things that we have no control over. Yeah. Right. That's powerful. Yeah. It's really powerful. Are you, are you, throughout your life, it seems that you've been the guy that just pushes, pushes the limits. Like you're the guy that's found himself in a situation where, you are told by the doctor not to go in a pool and you, <laughs> you you decide to find a way that you're going to do it anyway. You're the guy that in your wakeboarding career pushed the limit. I mean, you were no, known for pushing the limits. That was what made you such a fantastic wakeboarder. You were willing to try stuff and push the boundaries when other people weren't. Um, is that a message that you, uh, or an, a piece of advice that you give people in terms of maximizing life? Um, for sure. I think, um, although, you know, I was always the kid that, she was doing backflips off trees and whatever, you know, running up walls and doing backflips and whatever I could. But I was always a kid that got hurt doing them too, you know. It's, it was just kind of this um, passion for life and pushing the limits and things. But I feel like, you know, people are all on a different level with those sorts of things. There was this really interesting video that I watched, and I wish I could remember what it was, but it was about um, – wingsuit flying and it was sort of I think maybe a Red Bull video of some sort and there was like a doctor who was a wingsuit flight you know pilot and yeah. um and that he did the study on um on that adrenaline junkie kind of thing in our DNA and there's this for whatever reason I remember it's like the DRD4 or chromosome on no on chromosome 11 or something that's you got like a number either a 2 to 11 on this chromosome level. Uh, um, and if you're an 11, you're like an extreme ad adrenaline junkie. Or if you're on the, the lower numbers, then you'd probably sit at home and stay in your safe little bubble. Um, so I think everyone's on a different level there. So you've got to kind of take that into account. Um, you know, to me, I would say I'd probably be at like a nine or something, not crazy adrenaline junkie, but more calculated, but still, you know, out there for the- Still pretty up there. <laughs> And yeah, I just think, you know, we can't, well, for me, living is closer to that edge of, of life and death, you know, whereas living for other people can, can mean something else, you know? And so without 
pushing the limits without testing myself and seeing how far I can go and what I can do with my body um, and with my mind. Like without that, life just felt empty. Yeah, well, there's a difference yeah. between being alive, between being alive and feeling alive. Yeah, like existing and living. Yeah, and that was kind of I was just existing. I needed to find a way to to really live, um, and that wasn't just through getting in the pool and holding my breath, but you know, getting out into nature and you know, whether it's in a manual chair for my friends pushing me around, or in my off road chair on the beach, or um, just getting out amongst it again. Because uh, I just I hated the stigma that came along with this injury that I kind of. You know, now I'm supposed to just sit at home and do nothing. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and it's like, well, no, I, I'm I'm not wired that way. Like, sure, I can try to change my wiring, but I feel like that's just so hardwired in that I've just got to find a way to to fulfill that again and, and feel yeah. that. I think that's one of the huge huge reasons I have so much admiration for you is because that passion for life is still there despite everything that you've been through. And I feel like across the world and when you look at the general population, I think a lot of people don't have that. Like they've got every reason to be, they've got no excuse to not be out there doing stuff and tackling things and pushing themselves. And and I think a lot of people are living within constraints and and are not truly alive. Yet you've got people like yourself who have come into, you know, extreme adversity and, and, genuine obstacles and you're still pushing the limits you're still trying to get out there and live life to the fullest and i don't think there's anything more inspirational than that thanks yeah i mean uh, to me it's just um uh what was i gonna say something about um i don't know like i I just want to kind of spread that message of um pushing past the the constraints and the limitations that we a lot of the times we put on ourselves, but it could be, you know, society as well and the way we're raised. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of one of the, the biggest messages I want to spread and to inspire people is, you know, push past those limitations, like find, find what limits you've, you've put there yourself. And, and sometimes it's about understanding why we even put them there in the first place. Um, and then start to work through those, you know, and, and a lot of them, for me, like I've still got some limitations and they mostly stem from fear. And um, I think, you know, some of those fears are justified, but then they're also, um, I feel like fear is, comes from an anticipation of the future that doesn't actually, hasn't come yet. So one of my biggest fears looking forward, and this is what I've tried to pull myself back from is looking too far into the future uh, or anything, but one of my biggest fears is um, around sort of having a, a family, like you know, raising kids in this situation, not being able to pick up my own child and not being able to teach them things. Um, I'm sure I could, you know, can still teach them things, but not in a physical way, not go play catch with them in the backyard or whatever. And so that's something that really, I mean, I, I still haven't worked through that mentally. I think it's just something that's going to come when that journey. Is, is upon me yeah um but yeah i think you know we've all got fears and we all set limitations on ourselves based on those and um, i've always just wanted to push past that i um, i was watching a video yesterday and i did a, a live video thing with uh ronix wakeboards and i showed a video of the first time i tried to double flip over a mega ramp which was the, one of the scariest things i've ever done <laughs> and just that feeling i remember going into it each time and i'd like back out over and over again and i there was just that one time I was like, nah, this is it. I'm done backing out. I'm so, I was so sick of it. And I just, yeah, committed, landed, rode away from it. And it was just one of those moments that will stick with me forever. And, and I think it's such a empowering feeling for anyone to push past their own fears, you know, fear of heights to, to go bungee jumping and jump and take that leap. Yeah. Um, it, I, it's such a, an invigorating feeling to, to push past that. Yeah, it comes back to that saying, you know, that saying, which is just that nothing great comes inside your comfort zone. You know, you really, the greatest sense of accomplishment and achievement comes when you are pushing the limits. I did a course a few years ago with a guy called Brendan Bouchard, who's a high performance coach. And one of, they did a whole range of studies on, you know, neuroscience around what were the kind of key pillars of human happiness. And one of those things 
was the that you should be living, I think it was 15 to 20% outside of your ability at all times. Like most people when they're doing their jobs, you know, that the reason that they get sort of mild depression when they're just doing the same mundane stuff every day is that there's no challenge involved in that and they are staying within their zone. But the moment that you take on a task, whether it's at work or whether it's wakeboarding or whatever it is that you feel is outside of your level of competence, there's like a new energy that comes from that. For sure, and that kind of comes into uh, something that I've learned over the years about happiness, about what you know, what brings us happiness, and um, you know, I kind of, I've almost got to like make a diagram or a graph or something of it. But you know, if we find our baseline, and we, you know, we kind of, I guess that's that's comfort zone. You know, if you live on that baseline, then you're comfortable, and at first it's okay, but then you it gets stale and stagnant. Um, so I think there's always got to be that element of kind of pushing just past, you know, that, that kind of incentive and, um, you know, those goals. And if that is too far, like say in the job, if your expectations, um, from your boss or, or whatever the expectations of your job is so far past where you can reach, then it's just going to be so stressful and you're never going to, you know, you're not going to be happy in that situation. Yeah. But if it's a, a goal that you've got to reach for, but you can reach for it and you, you know, you put some work in, you study up, you do whatever you need to do and you achieve that goal, you know, that's kind of where happiness lies. And that also crosses over, um, you know, that expectation versus reality um, into relationships as well, like between two people. If my reality is this and who I am, you know, I've accepted and I understand everything I can do, ensure we try to better ourselves but if the person I'm with, if their expectation of me is far out of where I can reach, mm. then, you know, we're not going to be happy together. That's right. Um, but if, you know, there's always got to be that little bit of effort, you know, extra effort to improve and, you know, and, and that the, the person you're with, that expectation can lower it slightly so that you can kind of meet in the middle. And I think that's where that happiness lies is that, that meeting in the middle of, pushing, you know, one of us pushing ourselves a bit, bit further to reach there, the other person kind of lowering expectations to, to understand who that person is and you're not trying to, you know, expect that person to be someone else, you know, who they're not. You know, you, you kind of accept them for, for who they are. So, yeah, I feel like I've got to put a diagram together of that. Yeah, I think you do, man. I mean, there has been, there's genuine studies done into that and I think they found that it was about 15 to 20% outside of that capabilities was when you're at your most happy um yeah. so yeah it's, it's fascinating man um i mean again it just comes back to understanding those things like when you start to understand what those things are you can start to put things in place to live a really happy fulfilling life mm -hmm. totally talk to me about what's your relationship with wakeboarding now it's a sport that gave you so much um it's obviously it was your biggest passion it probably still is your biggest passion um What's your relationship with it now in the wake of everything that's, that's happened? And, and I guess there's been time and water under the bridge now um, since your injury. You're still some involved great, in the, um, Some great analogies there. Yeah, I, as they were rolling out, I was going water under the bridge in, <laughs> in the wake. <laughs> what is your relationship with wakeboarding though? Like, where are you at with that? Um, I mean, I, I obviously, I'd, you know, I lived half my life uh, pursuing it. And so it was a very painful thing at the beginning. Um, and I kind of, had to take a bit of a step away. I mean, even six months after my accident and then a few months later, I was commentating some local events and I enjoyed that because I was again, uh, you know, amongst the community again and people that I hadn't seen. And, um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it was, it was a struggle, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, the, the love of your life and you break up, but you're seeing her pictures on Instagram every single day. You know, it's the same <laughs> thing, like, um, and so I really struggled with that until, um, again, I kind of went through that process of acceptance and everything else. And, and it, to me, like the main connection I have with wakeboarding is just through the people that I, um, that I met and made connections with and made friendships with, um, throughout my years over there. So, I mean, and that's why I go back to the States at least once a year. Um, I mean, we'll see how long it's going to be until I can go back now, but, um, I go back to see my friends, you know, I don't go back really to be a, around wakeboarding, but you know, I end up around it anyway. And, um, my first trip back and going back and being there where I got hurt and everything, 
the side of the injury, it was um, it was a bit painful there, but it was a huge stepping stone for me to get through to to, to then be happy and be able to be a part of the sport again. Um, and now, yeah, I do a little bit of coaching. Some of it's in the boat. Um, other times, it's people sending me videos, and I'll just send them some tips. And um, so, yeah, I just I, I mean, because I mean, if it was a degree or whatever, I'd have a PhD or <laughs> in uh, in wakeboarding. So I want to be able to use that knowledge that I've gained over the years, and any you know, a lot of the time it's passing it down through. Um, through some of the new teammates that have come on board with Ronix. I mean, it's a whole wave of new, younger guys coming through. and um, So, yeah, I just I enjoy it. It just took a while for me to be able to, you know, I, I guess I was grieving the loss of it, really. It was yeah, of course. That grieving process. Yeah, of course, man. Talk to me, I mean, how, how much recollection do you have of the, the accident and the day of the accident? And, I mean, for people... For people that aren't familiar with your story, can you just give us a little bit of a background to that and, yeah, talk, talk me through that day. Yeah, so, I mean, usually in wakeboarding, you're behind a boat and you're doing tricks and you're landing in the water or crashing in the water. Um, this was on a mega ramp, so I was taking off out of a, a pool that we'd dug um, on a peninsula that was probably uh, 10 feet above the lake level, so it was kind of a step down. Um, yeah were launching off a ramp so we were kind of going up out of it and landing on a landing ramp um and i just you know as, as i said when i was learning the double flip i kind of bailed out each time i was doing just a single flip but i'd do the first flip first half of the first flip really fast and then i'd open out and do the second half really slowly so i knew i had enough time for the second flip um but that was also when i was going for the double flip that was also my bail out if something felt wrong um, and unfortunately, yeah, just something went wrong, didn't feel right. I slipped my hand off the grab and opened up too late and I'd gone bigger than I thought and ended up tumbling down onto the ramp, sort of just got my board down, but then I kind of tumbled forward, tucked my head under and basically forced my head into my chest, um, forced it kind of forward and the tops of my shoulders impacted right on the ramp and shattered my C4 vertebrae and I was knocked unconscious straight away. Um, and by the time my friends got to me, I was face down in the water and they flipped me over and it was probably a minute or so by the time they got to me and I was blue in the face, not breathing, um, eyes wide open. One of my friends thought I was dead. Just Far out. Uh, but it's actually something that I've learned about through the freediving is this mammalian dive response that we have. And it's the body, when it knows that your face is underwater and you're unconscious, it knows not to breathe. Wow. Um, but when you get turned face up and you feel that it feels that air against your face and, you know, whether it's a breeze or whatever's going on. So when my friends are literally about to do CPR on me and, um, but I just, you know, my instinct came in and that, um, that reflex kind of kicked in and I just started breathing and got conscious on my own. And, um, and it was sort of, I've got flashes of memories from, the first responders getting there, the local fire department, um, then the helicopter coming in to pick me up. I remember that all happening. I remember even joking with my friends about, um, well, semi-joking. One of them, when he called the helicopter, I was like, don't you call a helicopter. It's going to be so expensive. But <laughs> <laughs> I was so broke. I had no insurance or anything. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I was right. so wary of all this and didn't really realize how bad the situation was for me. Um, and I remember everything all the way up until going in for my MRI and MRI te technicians like, all right, we're going to get started. This is going to take a while. Like, make sure you stay still. Like, Thanks, dude. That's not going to And I kind of dozed off and I don't really remember a lot after that for about a week. Um, it's just this big blank spot. And apparently I was awake and, and aware and uh, aware of everything. In that time, apart from the, the nine-hour surgery, but, uh, yeah, just whether it's like some trauma block or um, the medication I was on or something like that, but, yeah, just have this big big uh, empty patch of memory after that and then woke up in the ICU. And so what's it, what's, what are those days and weeks and months like after that? I mean, 
obviously, you know, a huge toll on your family. Um, and like you said, the situation itself is not, it's not just about the injury. It's the, the financial side of things. There's so many, there's so many layers to it. Yeah, I mean, to be perfectly honest, that first week after becoming aware, like, I wanted to end it. I didn't want to be around anymore. I felt like I was going to be such a burden on my friends and family and, and everyone that was around. I mean, I already already was seeing these things that everyone is having to do now because of the you know, because of what I've done. Um, and then, you know, it was through the, the support of that community, my family and you know, the whole Waco community. And um, that's kind of where I turned my attitude around and decided I was going to fight and I was going to, um, I was going to beat this. And, and yeah, and I think in a way, like as much as it's not the way that I thought it was going to be, like I've overcome this, you know, I've beaten mm. this because I'm able to live a happy life. I've gotten past it mentally and I've accepted the situation, you know, even though I'm not up and moving, which is what I thought I would, would get. Um, yeah, I truly feel like I've made a good recovery, um, even though, yeah, it's, it's not, not the way that it was uh, envisioned. But, yeah, I mean, at that time I had pneumonia. I was on the ventilator. Um, it took, took a long time to clear all the gunk out of my lungs and, um, you know, every day I was getting x-rays at 5 a.m., getting woken up for x-rays and then, throughout the day, like suctioning my lungs and that bronchoscopies. And I woke up halfway through one of those and then my heart stopped in another one. And All right. and then when I was trying to wean off the ventilator the second time, uh, my second attempt at it, um, my heart stopped again in front of my mum. And so it was a scary time. Uh, it was about four and a half, five weeks in the ICU. And then, got moved to a specialist spinal unit up in Atlanta and that's where I finally got off the ventilator. You know, it was, they kind of, it was once they figured out like how I work that I started to be able to push again. They just had to give me goals. Yeah, right. All they had to do, like with the breathing, it's like, okay, you, we're going to get rid of the ventilator out of your room and pull the trach, the trach out of your neck, clear that close up. If you can do 16 hour days, four days in a row. And um, I was like, that's it. Like, that's all I need to do. Like, only <laughs> that weeks ago. Like, and, uh, you know, next thing I'm doing 18 hour days because I wanted to be off the ventilator longer to be able to talk with my girlfriend at night and things like that. Um, cause I had no voice. I couldn't eat or drink while I was on the ventilator. Um, cause they inflate a balloon right above the hole that they put in there, like in your throat to stop the air from coming out. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah through the vocal cords and all this other stuff. So yeah, I went like a month without speaking, eating or drinking. Um, and then, yeah. And so once I was in that spinal unit, I was able to start getting better and, um, get into a wheelchair and get my blood pressure under control. Cause you know, all of a sudden my muscles aren't pumping the blood back around my, from my legs. And so sitting up like this in that first few months, like I probably would have passed out. Um, so yeah, and then it just became this big learning thing. Like I just learned that I was going to have to dictate my care, and I was going to have to be so like over the top and um, finicky with everything because one little slip up, you know, if, if my pants are put on wrong in the morning, I could have a precious all by night, which would mm. have me on bed rest for months. So I just had to become so so like particular about things, and. Um, yeah, and what they sort of say is dictating your care. So that was kind of the biggest thing I kind of had to learn and bring back and then now implement in with all my caregivers and stuff. So. Yeah, right. It's really fascinating what you said there, though. It's a powerful piece. I just want to circle back to about having small goals because surely that, I mean, for anyone that's going through any adversity or anyone who's feeling lost or in general, just having goals, how important is that? And what's your relationship to goals and what's your advice around goal setting? I think... Obviously, yeah, goals are super important. Um, we need them to have that kind of what we were talking about before, that diagram of you know, pushing and stretching ourselves and becoming better and, um, and learning new skills and stuff. So I think, I think it's important, A, to have big goals or a big goal. But within that, we've got to chunk it down into small achievable ones because if you've got this huge, giant job to do, then it's just, it just can be overwhelming. Um, but if you break it down into small achievable goals, then 
um, yeah, we, you know, each time you achieve those, you get that, that kind of rush of achievement and, and feeling good about yourself and, and you're also another step closer. So I'm kind of having to do that at the moment with writing my book. I'm having to really chunk it down into daily goals. Okay, if I can finish, finish writing about this one week or this one topic today, then I'm done. You know, I can move one more step closer to, to finishing rather than going, holy crap, I've got to write an entire book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's important. <laughs> yeah. Chunking them down and, and, um, yeah, and, and also being open to what life kind of wants to allow for us. You know, I've, I'm, not, I'm not a religious person, but I've started to learn to live by faith, and this is more just faith in what's meant for me in my life. And obviously we've got to work to achieve things, but if that thing you're working for is not meant for you, then I, I feel like that's just kind of how things are. Um, and it's a weird balance because I don't believe in fate as such because I don't believe things are pre-written. Um, but I, I believe that what's meant to come our way will, you know, will, will come by and, and sometimes you've got to work hard for it. Sometimes it'll just fall in your lap. But um, yeah, just, just trusting in the process. Like right now the pro- to trust in the process is to stay at home and, and let this thing, let this coronavirus thing settle and, um, trust in the people who are who are our leaders, and you know, I'm thankful that we've got a good one here in this country. And yeah, phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, some other clowns around the country, around the world. Sorry, but um, yeah, it's just uh, you know, it's trusting in the process, and and um, sometimes you know, we can have a goal, but it might not be meant for us. So it's being open to learn new things and to know that you know, along our path. Um, there are forks on the road that might be, you know, there are different ways we're supposed to go. And, um, yeah, I think it's just, you know, it comes down to we make these choices throughout the day, every day. And, um, you know, we're just trying to do the best we can. And, you know, we don't know what's going to come. But at the end of the day, once we make, make our choice, you know, we accept what that is and we move forward. And, mm. um, yeah, what's- I think that's just a good way to to kind of move, move forward and, um, and just trust that things will work out as they're supposed to. Yeah, totally. What, what's your relationship to like gratitude? I mean, a, a large part of what you're saying comes back to, I guess, being grateful for the things that you do have and not focusing on what you don't have. How big a part of your journey has that been? Yeah. Gratitude's been huge. Um, I mean, I, I tried it from the very beginning and it was really tough to, to be grateful, but it was once I ended up in a relationship with the girl who I met after my accident, she didn't know me before, um, you know, and I was in you know, a bit of a relationship with this girl. And then next thing, you know, I was having to be grateful for my injury because it brought me to where I was and meeting this person I fell in love with. And, um, so yeah, that was, that was, it, it kind of gradually became stronger and stronger like my ability to be grateful for, for where I'm at. Um, but yeah, being grateful for the things we can do and the things we do have and rather than focusing on what we can't was one of the biggest things that kind of helped me through. I, that's where, you know, I stumbled across that free diving and, you know, there are these other goals that I wanted to do because, um, for so long I was just focusing on what I used to have and what I can't do anymore. Um, that's, by steering my intention and my energy and everything toward what I can do and what I do have, um, it just, yeah, it, it tied in with this uh, Huna wisdom of the principles of Huna, um, which are these things that my auntie sent me very early on in the, uh, after the accident. And the, uh, the, I guess the third one is uh, energy, energy flows where attention goes. So it's about putting our intention toward the things that are more positive for us and, and gratitude is a huge part of that. So mm, it's powerful. What I've heard you talk about, um, finding true happiness a bit. What does true happiness mean to you? True happiness is understanding that we can't be happy all the time. Um, you know, life comes in ebbs and flows. It's a bit of a roller coaster and it's, um, I think happiness just comes, it's more that baseline 
of, of happiness. And that comes from an understanding of, of what we have control over and stuff like, you know, that again, going back to that diagram of, um, of, uh, where our baseline is and then being able to stretch and achieve goals and grow and, and, um, and kind of expand our capacity to, you know, for what we're capable of. Um, I think, yeah, going through just the journey of it, understanding that, that this life is not always going to be perfect and happiness doesn't reside in more. Actually, here's a good quote that I like. It's out of uh, my favorite book, which is called Way of the Peaceful Warrior uh, by Dan Millman. And uh, it goes, uh, happiness, you see, is not found in seeking more, but in developing the capacity to enjoy less. Um, and you know, I think that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean we can't pursue you know, goals and, and, and gaining more, but by increasing our capacity to enjoy lesser moments or having less or, you know, when I was living in a trailer at Lake Roanoke with no power and no running water and I was out there on my own, like trailer trash kind of thing. And people would look at that and they're like, no, like you're supposed to have a big, big fancy house and you're supposed to want a nice car and, more money and this and that, but it's like, I was just living my passion and doing the things that, that really, uh, that I enjoyed every day building to wakeboarding and hanging out with my friends. And, um, so, you know, that's where I really learned that to be completely happy doesn't mean you have to be super rich or have all these fancy things. It's just, it's adjusting what we can control and that ability within ourselves to like, control what our expectations are what our goals are and things like that like that can can make a huge difference on our on our happiness um and that you know it's it's weird because it can sound like a little bit of a cop-out to to be like oh well just expect less of yourself and then you'll be happier you know like you still want to be able to have goals and push yourself you know you can't we'll take the throttle off completely but just just about balance like a lot of things uh, yeah and it's it goes back to that thing there's people who have everything in the world the money the fame and they end up killing themselves you know it, it, it's it's if you can't enjoy what you have which is a skill and a learnt skill then no matter where you get to you're never going to be able to enjoy it right yeah well and, and there's another thing i think it was out of way of the peaceful warrior as well where they talk about someone who's like a rock climber climbing up this giant cliff to the top of the mountain he gets to the top and there's no guru there waiting there's no big pot of gold there's no you know the the happiness and the 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 um the stuff that we, we need to take from these moments is in the journey not in trying to get to this destination yeah um yeah so happiness is it, it is in the journey it's part of the process and understanding that yeah you're not going to just get to one point and all of a sudden you're happy forever. Yeah. It's that constant kind of growing, learning, accepting. And that, um, yeah. That's why, that's why doing what you're passionate about as often as possible is so important though, right? Because if you're, if you're doing something you dislike a lot of the time in order to get somewhere that doesn't make you happy anyway, because happiness is something that's internal, then surely the answer is to do more of what lights a fire inside you anyway. Totally. And, it, and it's hard when, you know, we've got to earn a living and a lot of people don't enjoy their jobs and sometimes, you know, it's a means to an end. You've got to, um, you've got to do these jobs and, and it's, it's kind of weighing it up like, okay, you know, if I've got this job that I don't like but I'm earning good money which allows me to go out and do the things that I enjoy, then it's all well and good. But if you've got a job that you're slaving away that doesn't allow you to, to uh, enjoy life and, uh, and to, to truly be happy, then you kind of got to reassess things. And Not 100%, man. Find, find a better balance. Um, but, you, you know, again, it's it's easy for me to say that. Um, sitting here, not necessarily needing to go out and earn a living to survive through this time. I know it can be very difficult and must be very difficult for a lot of people who do rely on a day-to-day -day or, you know, weekly income to put food on the table and things like that. So another thing I've really tried to work on is, is understanding that, um, you know, we're all different. We're all in a, 
um, the, a quote that, or you know, uh, an analogy that was kind of put forward. It's not, you know, right now we're not all in the same boat. We're all weathering the same storm, and, but we're in different boats. You know, there are some people in a t- tiny little dinghy crowded with ten people and struggling to get over the waves, where other people are in super yachts just kicking back drinking yeah. champagne. You know, <laughs> in this time. So it's um, one thing I've really tried to work on is understanding that we are, we are all different. We're all programmed differently. And we can never truly understand someone else and where they come from because um, I really like the the analogy like putting yourself in someone's shoes. Cause, but I feel like it's kind of misunderstood. Like people think of that as looking at something from someone else's perspective. Whereas I feel like putting yourself in someone else's shoes mean, means you have walked every step that those shoes have walked mm-hmm. every scuff mark every time they've stepped in shit every every everything that they've gone through in their entire lives like there's no way that i could ever fully understand what a uh for whatever example mexican immigrant into the u.s is a single mother i could never understand what that person goes through because i haven't gone through that journey and i'm yeah. not programmed the way that they're programmed so I think being accepting of that and knowing that other people, that everyone's on a different journey. Um, yeah, non-judgment's a big part of that, eh? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I'm always been very intrigued by what leads people to do things. Even, you know, if you look at the, the very worst of things that happen in the world, you know, whether it's terrorism or whatever it might be, you know, it's very easy to go, oh, that person's evil. But, you know, I, to me, I'm like, what happened in that person's life that led them to this? Yeah, there's so much power in that, though. Like, just there's so much power in that just in every day. Like, the more understanding and empathy we have for each other on, on any level is important. Like, if someone is rude to you or snaps at you rather than just going, that person's a bitch or, you know, whatever, there's, there's always something behind it. And, you know, it does come back to just understanding that everyone's going through some battle and we've all got our stuff going on. And the less judgment we show towards each other, you know, the better, really. That's it, man. Empathy, that's, uh, that's a good word to sum it up. Yeah. What is your advice to people that are going through a hard time right now, whether it's personal struggles, whether it's due to the coronavirus and, and the current circumstance? Um, to the person that's having a tough time, what, what do you say to them? Well, I think right now, um, as I said, it's hard for me to understand or really know what, you know, if there's someone having a hard time financially because of this or in the job space, you know, it's, I don't really know what I can tell them apart from to look into, you know, getting financial support from the government or um, whatever sort of aid packages there are like that. Um, and again, you know, I think for, for people in that situation, it's um, just knowing that there is a light at the end of this tunnel. Um, it's not, this isn't going to be like this forever. Um, but just in general, I think anyone who's struggling, um, I think in terms of anxiety levels and things like that in the situation, it, again, it comes back to just, you know, bringing things, bringing things right down to what you can do uh, right now and whether that is like, okay, um, you can either work from home. If you can work from home, cool, you know, or if you can't, but you've been putting off all these jobs around the house, then get into that. If you want to pick up the guitar or for me, you know, I've got a harmonica that I'm, been playing around with and you know if you, if you watch the um ronix live of yesterday i was doing trick shots with a ping pong ball it's <laughs> awesome play, what can i do you know and it's um if if there are things you can't do there's no there's no point in stressing over it and again it's easy for me to say that i can understand it's probably stressful with someone's uh, hard up financially through this but again you, Stressing over it's not going to achieve anything. Um, looking at what your options are and what you can do about it um, right now is, is, I think, what's going to get people through. So, and just yeah, being being empathetic, being kind, being um, just uh, yeah, understanding and, and really embracing the connection that we all have from a distance right now. I think's kind of a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. Look, I want to be respectful of your time. I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> your story fascinates me. And 
um, I don't know. It's just a, it's a perspective that is not common. Like it's not every day you talk to someone who's been through the level of adversity that you've been through. And I can't understand, like you said, what it's like to have walked in your shoes, but there's a lot of your lessons and mindsets and attitudes that I know I can take away and that will drastically improve my life. And I've got that from following you on social media. Uh, and I hope that this conversation reaches people uh, and they can take some of those lessons for themselves and apply it to their life because uh, something as simple as gratitude or as simple as that, like pushing your boundaries and getting a little bit more can be life changing. Uh, yep. And so firstly, I just want to acknowledge you for your time and, and, and thank you for um, having the conversation and mate, just, I hope you realize what an impact you do have when you share your message. Um, I know it mustn't be easy to always talk about these things and, uh, but you're a great example of finding, um, an advantage in your adversity and you're a great example of, you know, how you can find happiness and purpose in service of others. And, uh, you seem to be constantly doing that. And so I just wanted to acknowledge you for that. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. And cheers for having me. It was, um, yeah, it was a good chat. Awesome, awesome chat, man. A couple of last questions for you. What What does it mean to you to have lived life fully or to go out and live life to the fullest? Um, I mean, it's it was kind of, uh, I went through a bit of a tough time after my accident because I lived life so much to the fullest before my accident. Traveling the world and, you know, just doing what I loved. Um, and for a while that became this kind of curse that I, that I struggled with because everything was a comparison against that. Um, now that I've accepted how things are and I've embraced the fact that that, that was an amazing journey that I'm very fortunate to have been on um, and probably lived more in my 27 years before my accident than most people would in their entire lives. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's just... You know, we never know exactly what's going to happen in our lives, so we need to take each day as it comes and take as much opportunity to to live that. Um, you know, to to live our life to the fullest um, every day. Because, um, like, if I go to another another phrase that I've um, used, I had it printed on some T-shirts actually, and it's um, never forget yesterday, but always live for today, because you never know what tomorrow can bring or what it will take away. Um, so I think that's just about living in the present, you know, and, and uh, knowing that we can all go through adversity and we never know what's going to happen day to day. So got to live it up. We'll leave it there. That's a great note to finish on. Brad, I really appreciate your time, man. You're an absolute inspiration. Keep sharing your message. Keep living to the fullest. And uh, it's been a pleasure to connect with you, man. Hey, thank you. My pleasure. <laughs>